You are listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. Good morning. (laughs) On his way to Jerusalem, Jesus sent two disciples ahead to the village of Bethpage. We're having mic troubles today. Sorry, guys. Check, check. Okay, let's try it one more time. On his way to Jerusalem, Jesus sent two disciples ahead of him to a village, the village of Bethpage. It was about a mile from the city and at the foot of the Mount of Olives. And he told them, look for a donkey tied by a house with its unbroken colt next to it. And he instructed the disciples to tell the owners The Lord has need of it. So the men found the donkey. They brought it with its colt to Jesus and placed their cloaks on the colt. And Jesus sat on the young donkey and slowly, humbly made his way into Jerusalem. The large Passover crowds were in the streets at this time and they surrounded Jesus And they spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees, and they spread them on the road before him. If you can, well, you can't, because (laughs) there's a picture for you, and momentarily it will pop up. And what it is is a depiction of this scene. There were crowds gathered, there were onlookers, Jesus is making his way through the city streets. There's pictures of some people, uh, images of some people waving palm branches, some people looking really reverent, some people looking really confused, some people looking really suspicious, some people looking really desperate. If you can, notice the different reactions, or at least their body posture. What do you imagine each of them is thinking? Who do you see yourself in? I think often I wish I were the um, woman with the hand outstretched. But oftentimes, I'm probably the person who's looking on with skepticism. I love it how that picture depicts every different person with their different, not everyone had the same reaction. So the crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted things like, Hosanna, son of David, or blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Or Hosanna in the highest. By that time, as he entered, the commotion was spreading through the entire city. And many of the Galilean disciples, who had earlier seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, were spreading the news of that astonishing miracle. So when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, and they asked, Who is this? And they said, This is Jesus, the prophet, the one from Nazareth in Galilee. 
Now, the Roman Empire had a tradition. Commonly, they celebrated their war victories with large parades called the Triumphal Procession. These were prearranged because they know that a, a great warrior was coming back from battle. They were prearranged, they were sacred, but they were also festivals. It was very ritualistic, but it was also uh, a, an opportunity to honor the incoming hero. And he would ride his war horses into Rome, parading behind him all of the loot that he'd gathered all of the spoils from war, and even his captives came as part of the parade. And the victor, as they rode through, the people would wave palm branches and throw palm branches down because for the Romans, palm branches symbolized victory. And then, the parade as it came through the city under these triumphal arches. They even had these giant arches erected, which they would go through. The parade would end at the temple of Jupiter, the god of war. So as Jesus rides into the city of Jerusalem, he evokes a similar effect. This account we now call the triumphal entry in which Christians all over the world on Palm Sunday every year remember this ride on a donkey. A donkey, not a war horse. A sign of humility, a sign of peace. And his parade ends at a temple. His parade ends at the temple of Yahweh in Jerusalem, where he enters the temple courts and instead of offering a sacrifice to God, thank you, Christian. His parade ends at the Temple of Jerusalem, where he enters the temple courts. And instead of offering sacrifice to a God, he claims to be God. He overturns the tables of the money changers with their loot and the benches of those selling captive doves. And he says, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you, you are making it a den of robbers. And then the blind and the lame, having heard that he was in the temple, they came and he healed them. It, it wasn't lost on the Jewish people as they welcomed Jesus. They shouted, Hosanna, son of David, which to them meant, save us. You're the God who saves us. Son of David, you are our next great king. Because they wanted freedom from the Roman oppression. They wanted Jesus to be the next great king like David who would fight to overthrow the reign of the Roman Empire. And Jesus, he lets them celebrate. He lets them celebrate him as a victor because he knew he was bringing freedom. 
that is a different kind of freedom. The freedom from tyranny of sin and its evil effects. Sin <laughs> and its evil effects. <laughs> and pain and sickness and sadness death. All the while, the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children in the temple shouting, Hosanna, son of David. But they weren't expectant. They were indignant. This week, Jesus begins his final journey to the cross, a week we now call Holy Week. A week of friends, a week of Passover, the week of the first's Lord's Supper, prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, betrayal, mockery, torture, even death. At the start of the week, today, we celebrate him as this triumphant hopeful, this king apparent. But by the end of the week, by Friday, he's bloody and naked and abandoned, and the very same people are shouting, crucify him. He suffers the greatest temptation. He he bears the evil, temptation and evil. Today's topic. Let's pray. Whatever things are going on in the spiritual realm today, God, we know that we are engaged in a spiritual battle. And we take authority because Jesus gave us the authority to do so. We take authority over the powers of evil and darkness that would hurt people, that would cause pain, that would keep people under the tyranny. We take authority. <laughs> and we say that you, Jesus, we celebrate you as the one who comes to save. You are the God who saves. But the trouble is we get all out of line all the time. We want health and wealth and an easy life, and you offer the cross. Help us this week to sit with you at the Passover table in your temptation and not abandon you comes crashing down on your shoulders. We cannot fully celebrate Easter and we cannot fully celebrate Christ the Conqueror, Christus Victor, without first identifying with you on the cross. Give us grace. Give us grace not to rush toward Easter without first sitting with you in the discomfort of your suffering and your apparent loss so that when we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, we know that you first identify 
in our temptations, in the evil all around us, in order to lead the way out. I told you that story because it's Palm Sunday, Hosanna. But it's also the triumphal entry and Jesus' activity in the temple that are important. And not just is he fulfilling prophecies of the Old Testament as he does this verbatim, word for word, but he's also prophesying as he does this. Jesus was saying, I came to conquer. I came to conquer, but I don't do it on a war horse with a sword in my hands. I do it on a colt with healing in my hands. Jesus came not as a political conqueror. So friends, as the political season ramps up, Jesus came not as the political conqueror, but as the lion and the lamb, a different kind of king for a different kind of kingdom. Amen. And his power to fight a different kind of battle, not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the spiritual realms. He came to overthrow the enemy of our souls, the entire empire of darkness and sin and evil and death. And I don't know about you, but the last few months, I've been through some darkness and some evil and some death. But that's the gospel. That's the good news that we're always going on about. Jesus came to set us free from those things so that they don't have a permanent sting. So if you're not experiencing freedom, that's the whole point. And you're human and you're normal, but he's offering it. And that's the kind of thing you can talk to him about right now, whether you've been walking with Jesus your whole life or whether you're just thinking about maybe doing it sometime soon, you can say, Jesus, what is standing between me and the freedom that you offer me? What is it? Speaking of prayer, we have been talking about prayer this entire Lenten season. And as you know by now, we've been using the Lord's Prayer as our example of how we can pray. We've been taking it line by line, and today it should come as no surprise that we have arrived at, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I'm repeating myself here, but it's because it's important. Our whole faith, the triumphal entry and the activity in the temple of Jesus. He's declaring with his actions, I lead you not into temptation, 
I deliver you from evil. And I can and I will if you ask me to. So Jesus gives us this part of the prayer, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. And as I sat with it this week, I thought, but gosh, I still feel so much temptation. (laughs) I still feel so much evil. I pray this prayer. So why, why did Jesus give us this prayer? I think it reveals several things about God's nature and ourselves. And the first one is maybe it's kind of obvious, is that we will be tempted and there will be evil. Jesus giving us that prayer is like saying, yep, I know. There is much temptation in our lives. I have the privilege of being part of a course called the Alpha Course that we do here on Thursday nights, whoop, whoop. And um, we just recently discussed that it's not bad if you're feeling tempted. You are not bad for feeling tempted. You're not sinning when you feel tempted. Even the most shameful temptations aren't wrong yet. You're human. It means you're with the best of us, including Jesus, who endured the greatest temptation. Not even he was exempt from feeling tempted. And yes, there will be much evil around us. Even Jesus said, in this life, you will have troubles. You are not bad for feeling the impact of evil, the evil and the suffering around us. If it weighs you down, if it makes you feel heavy, if you feel tired, if you're asking why, why all the suffering, you are not alone. Although I do think there are more helpful questions than the question why. I think that one kind of gets us in a circle. We will feel tempted, and there will be evil. But the second thing that this prayer does for us is it shows us that Jesus wants us, invites us even to ask, to ask for deliverance. Jesus, the perfect, safe man, doesn't push in doesn't impose his desires on us. He makes it clear that the option is open and that we are welcome to ask for help. He gives us free will and then he invites us to ask for deliverance. Deliver us from evil. It also reveals to us that something that he knew, and this kind of circles back to the triumphal entry. He knew he would contend with sin and death, and he knew he would be victorious, which means he has the authority to grant those requests. 
We can ask for freedom from temptation and evil because he conquers them this week in the process of the cross and the resurrection. He becomes the conqueror of them. Temptation, evil. And the last thing that I'll say about this part of the prayer and the thing that I guess I took like consolation in this week as I was like, praying this prayer <laughs> and things were still just coming at me and I kept praying this prayer and things kept coming at me was that sometimes prayer changes our circumstances. But always prayer changes us. I think that's why Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Have you ever actually done that? It seems like he doesn't ever fix them. <laughs> it seems like he starts to change us. Something in us begins to soften and change. Something in us begins to start to see that person, that enemy differently, and we like develop some sort of empathy or understanding and maybe they're coming from some place we just we soften to them as we pray that prayer I'll tell you a, a lighter story once upon a time I was a high school English teacher and I was having trouble with this one particular class it was a class of ninth graders and it was like almost all boys. I think I had two girls in the entire class. So it was a class of these boys, and they did not treat me with much respect, and they loved giving me a hard time. I think they just honestly didn't even, it wasn't like, we're gonna tease this teacher. It was more like, we don't see you, and we won't behave for you. And so I was getting more and more flustered and having trouble with how am I going to discipline these kids. And I shared it with my prayer group at the time. And a colleague boldly prayed for me. She prayed that this class would become my favorite class by the end of the year. And I say boldly because I was quite annoyed with this prayer. <laughs> But something changed. Something changed in that moment, and it continued to change throughout that year. Something changed in my relationship with that class, and I don't think the boys changed that much. Maybe they changed a little, but something in me just suddenly, I don't know, got them in a way. Maybe they just kind of became my spiritual little brothers or something, because I was young, really young then. But this compassion for them and for their lives and for their circumstances and for why maybe they were acting the way that they were acting and why they were treating me or mistreating me as a woman, it didn't bother me anymore. That prayer cracked the door to God's formational work in me in my heart. Sometimes prayer changes circumstances, but always prayer changes us. And when we ask, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil, 
Jesus was giving us this prayer. And if we pray it, I think it's his way of forming us. Changing how we see temptation, imparting the desire to avoid doing wrong, imparting the desire to flee from evil. Sometimes he may help us avoid temptation altogether. Sometimes we may never know that he prevented temptation from coming. Those are the miracles like we don't even know happen. But the ones that we get to see happen are the ones that build our faith. So in this series, we've been aiming to teach about some of the ways that we can pray. Prayer can feel hard. It can. Gosh, how many of us think, gosh, I wish I prayed more. I probably should pray more. Am I the only one? Okay. Um, Good. I'm glad I'm not the only one. But prayer really is simple. There are not a lot of rules to pray or to prayer. It's just a conversation, a conversation with God. But the most important thing about prayer is actually having the conversation with God. And so as we've talked about prayer and the various pastors have uh, taught on prayer this Lent, Reese talked about praying through the Psalms. There's some really... uh, There is a range of emotions in the Psalms. So if you're feeling any feeling, you will find a Psalm for that. And he talked about the prayer of examine. Roger taught on the five-step prayer model, how we can pray for others. He talked about praying pre-written prayers like the welcoming prayer. And Michelle, she led us in contemplative prayer, two minutes of quiet, wordless communication with God. I'd say try all of those. And the ones that kind of open for you a conversation with God that make that conversation a little easier, stick to those. Continue the conversation with God. These pastors, they wanted you to have handlebars to hold on to when you don't know what to pray. Try one of these. Hold on to these handlebars. Pedal a little. See where it takes you. Like conversation starters or frames that help you focus your attention on God. Find the frame that helps you. So I have one to add today. Communal prayer. There's private prayer. And then there's communal prayer. Both are wonderful. But if we only ever pray privately and silently, we miss the treasures that are available to us in communal prayer. Our Western individualism has taught us a lot about who we are as individuals. And frankly, when I speak up here, I often speak about my soul, your soul, our individual selves. Uh, 
but the community of faith is an essential part of our spiritual formation. You know, COVID did a lot of things. It showed a lot of us how busy we were and it showed a lot of us that we didn't want to go back to the way things were before. It forced us to step back and ask questions like, am I what I do? Or do I like what I do? Or do I like who I am when I do what I do? It broke routines, which is good, can be a good thing, but it also broke routines of things that were good. And it separated us physically, which resulted in some forms of spiritual separation. Yes, we have online, but it's not quite the same. I'm an introvert. I'm happy doing everything alone. But in my hardest times, I lean on my faith community to show up and to pray with me Sometimes face-to-face, sometimes shoulder-to-shoulder. Personally, I prefer shoulder-to-shoulder. It's like we're lining up side-by-side, going into battle together. When my faith is small or weak or naive or limping along, I need to know that my faith community shows up to pray with me. Not just to pray over me, which is good, but I mean stands beside me and says the words when my lips can't form them on my own. My faith community that stays together in the Garden of Gethsemane and doesn't sleep through the temptations that other people are experiencing. So what does communal prayer look like in our context? There's lots of ways to pray together. That's just what communal prayer means, praying together. In this context, we have lots of opportunities for that. We can gather with the intercessors team before church on Sundays, where we petition for our needs and for the needs of others. It looks like sending a weekly intercessors email and knowing that you guys are out there praying. It means coming to contemplative prayer where we sit quietly together, listening for God to speak. Do you know, and our contemplative prayers are small, but do you know when we're gathered and a new face walks in the door for contemplative prayer, any face, my faith goes up, and I think, Jesus is going to speak to me today. Somehow you just coming in the room builds my faith. I don't want lots of words these days. Words feel really tedious to me, and believe me, when I get done from preaching, I like don't speak to anyone for two days if I can help it. <laughs> but I want community to sit with, to pray. Communal prayer looks like laying hands on other people and praying, healing over them in their bodies, in their minds, in their spirits. And when I pray with someone beside me for someone else, somehow I'm braver 
and I pray things that I might not have prayed because there's this cool thing that happens when you pray side by side with someone, for someone, where you listen for God's voice and you think you hear something and so you go out on a limb and you pray it and then the person next to you goes, oh my gosh, that kind of fits with what I was hearing and then they pray something that, oh my goodness, kind of fits with the other thing that I didn't actually mention yet. And there's this kind of stacking, this layering, this synergy that happens when we pray together for someone. That's communal prayer. So now, as we move into the other parts of the service, I'd like to give us a frame for what we're about to do. It's my privilege to get to lead you in four kinds of communal prayer today. We get to do it right now, together, shoulder to shoulder, side by side. So if you will, stand with me, please. First, we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. And as we do, I'm going to stop praying out loud so that you can hear each other. Listen to each other as we pray this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And if you will, stay standing. Because the next communal prayer we're going to do together this morning is the Lord's Supper eating his body and drinking his blood as a prayer together, a prayer of thanksgiving and a request for deliverance from evil. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper and when we say the words I'm about to say and when we consume the elements into our bodies together, it's a form of prayer. It is the communion of believers. So let me remind you of Paul's words to the Corinthian church when he was talking about the Lord's Supper. The week that Jesus rode into town on the colt to celebrate the Passover feast with his disciples. And on that night, when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks for it and he broke it into pieces. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup. And he said, this is the cup of a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood on the cross do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you, church, are announcing the Lord's death and his promise and his triumph 
until he comes again.